Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Axiom Principle. I am joined tonight with a special guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about methods to determine what is true and what is not true. I figured this is a relevant topic in today's terms and political spectrum, mainly because there's a big, huge push for uh, a new narrative called uh, fake news and false truth and post-truth in particular. So rather than try to assume that everybody has the truth and they're trying to tell you the truth, I figured it's more important to try and discuss the methods of determining um, out of the mess that is the mainstream media, the alternative media and beyond, what exactly is true and how can you even tell? So joining me tonight is a guest and friend of mine. His name's Gil Wagner. Uh, I'm going to allow him to introduce himself and tell us a little about himself. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. And I don't know what you want to know. I, I could kill the whole hour <laughs> talking about me. Oh, that would be exciting. Uh, let's uh, talk about your background, where you're from, uh, if you want to disclose that at all, uh, where oh, yeah, you no from. work in, all that kind of fun stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. And speaking of St. Louis, we got thunderstorms on the way. So if I suddenly cut off, it's because my power went out, which is not unusual in yep. St. Louis weather. Um, born and raised in St. Louis, grew up in remodeling. I've been a serial entrepreneur my whole life, so a professional starter of companies. I tell people I'm a professional chaser of shiny objects. I like companies when they're hard and difficult and early and they're challenging and I'm bored to tears once they're working. So uh, for a living, I've got some partners and we basically team up with people that want to build professional service firms of one sort or another, anything from like accounting firms to dog walking companies. We don't care as long as they have expertise to sell and they want to build a company around that expertise and everything works out, which is a big, a big if, um, then we'll partner with them and help them build their companies from the ground up. So that's basically what I do for a living. Interesting. So I would suggest in, in that particular spectrum that you kind of have to tell the bullshitters from the truth tellers. Yeah. Um, I grew up, my dad was a remodeling contractor. I started riding along on sales calls with him when I was 12 and, uh, he was just naturally gifted at getting to know people and, um, figuring them out. Uh, his money was on the line, you know, with every interaction he had with people. And I kind of just learned from watching the master. And then I learned a lot of techniques from him over the years as well. Um, and then I've been in sales my entire career. So, Sales is a profession completely filled with bullshit, so I've learned all the bullshit and, uh, uh, so that I could basically not do it because uh, my dad's philosophy is a long story. I won't get into a whole discussion about sales, but it's, it's called a collaborative model of selling, and it's about being honest with people at all times and looking for mutually beneficial reasons to do business instead of trying to trick people into things. Um, but in order to... Um, know when you're selling to a prospect, um, you there the odds are that that prospect is talking to other salespeople, and some of those salespeople might be using the trickery. So you need to know it's like the the bank robber that you know uh, turns honest and works for the feds to keep other bank robbers out. You kind of need to know the other guy's tricks in order to avoid them or have them affect you. So I've kind of spent a lifetime learning all of this stuff for professional reasons. Very true. And uh, that's why you were a guest tonight, actually. It's because you have a knack and a, a method that seems to be effective at determining who's telling the truth and what that truth is and what isn't. So. It's, I, I would qualify it by saying, you know, I make mistakes like everybody. Um, 
And one of the things that I've built into the business relationships that I form, especially when they're early relationships, is I make sure that um, I, I implement one of my dad's three rules of gambling. And the, the, the one rule I implement is never make a bet you can't afford to lose. So if I start an engagement with somebody and there's money on the line, I'll make sure and you know, until I know them well, um, I'll make sure that I'm never at risk for more in, in time wise for more than maybe a couple of weeks of my time. You know, if they end up not paying me, that's the worst I, worst case scenario is I'm out a couple of weeks. Uh, in money, kind of depends on how flush I am. If I'm really tight and I don't risk much money, if I'm really flush, I'll risk a little more. Um, but the model is do your best to, to to make a judgment about whether they're honest, but keep yourself safe by not risking more than you can afford to lose. That's that's a gambler's philosophy for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a gambler's philosophy. It's a player's philosophy. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first uh, the first topic on my uh, punch list for today is to start out with the the current trends to claims to truth, at, at least in uh, the frame of reference that we're using for this particular podcast is media and uh, political claims. Those that uh, we see in in the news in particular, one of the one of the more popular ones has come across. Uh, everybody's minds it seems to be a new trending buzzword is uh, fake news so in in your opinion in your view uh, what is fake news and how do you know it is fake or not um well i would distinguish between fake news and false news so fake news is um, or messages that are put out where the people putting the message out know that they're false and do it anyway um false news is people that are making mistakes that's just a way that I can separate the two in my head. Not that that's a definition anybody has to use. That's just how I define the two. So purposeful bullshit is fake news in my world. Okay. So um, I guess one of the ways to put it is so if somebody is making a claim that uh, they know is not true. Um, but how can you uh, – well, I'll get to that in a second. They, they know it's not true, and um, they tell it anyway. So – not just a white lie, but a, a blatant, flatulent um, expression of complete BS. That's how you okay. define uh, a false news? Uh, that would be fake news, just for purposes of our conversation. That's how I see it. Okay. Uh, we can work with that. Um, so in the uh, the realm of fake news in particular, if they're telling a falsehood that they know is not true. How can we determine if they actually uh, do know that they're telling a complete BS story? Um, they'll. I mean, we're. It just, I guess it depends on like if you're talking about a newscaster on a TV show or somebody writing an article or a personal conversation. You know, I mean, in personal conversations, one on one, there's body language, there's all sorts of cues. Um, but we're not talking about that, right? No, we're talking about media in particular, people on TV, that type of thing. Okay, so TV and newspapers, for example. Yes. Um, the, I look for logical flaws. Um, I'm, you know, I have a particular talent in that I'm a puzzle solver. By it's one of my gifts. Um, and uh, my dad taught me to be a skeptic. So combining those two things, when I'm reading anything. 
I'll pay attention to the the word choices that are used. And I've come to, just from looking continuously and having this be part of my profession, I've come to recognize certain word patterns or changes in patterns that indicate to me that whatever they're saying is is false, first off. So something that I'm reading will ping my red flag of, wait a second, this sounds like BS. Um, and then I'll just kind of look at how they're saying what they're saying to determine whether it seems intentional or accidental. And it's a judgment call. I don't know that there's I don't know that there's a technique that I could really describe that would help other than just practice. I can give you kind of an example. Um it's if you want it. It's not it's not news. It's I actually went to a workshop um last mm-hmm. night uh on God's existence and the guy gave a handout and he was just setting up the the class and he had some he was talking about emotional subject matter and he listed two statements um that were supposed to be opposite one another um and they were two questions the first one is and just don't don't pay attention to the question and what he's asking just pay attention to the word choice okay listen to how he phrased the question so the mm-hmm. first one is can a can a believer ever convince an atheist that god exists the second one is, can an atheist ever convince a true believer that there is no God? What did he do in the second one that he didn't do in the first one? Did you hear it? Hmm. So, yeah, I, I can see... Can a, can a believer ever convince an atheist that God exists? Can an atheist right. ever convince a true believer that God exists? He inserted an extra word, true. He put a qualifier in there, yeah. He qualified the word believer in the second one. So that was the moment I saw that. It's like okay, there's bias here. Now I don't know if it was purposeful bias or accidental bias, um, but I spotted the bias just by the way that those were supposed to be parallel sentences and they weren't. So, that, so that's that, the, that's the stuff that I look for to give me a clue that something's up. And then once my radar's up, I start looking for more. And that uh, kind of segues into the. Uh second piece of this and how that we can determine what is fake and what is real. Um, but first, before I do that, I, I wrote down three different methods that I think we can use to determine uh, what is a reliable source of information uh, for any particular subject, either be it political or, or not. And um, even with these, they're not whole definitive uses or methods that we could use. Uh, like you couldn't use just one. You end up having to use all three is pretty much what it comes down to. So the first one uh, I'll gloss over, but what you just mentioned actually is the third method and possibly the key of the the thing I wanted to talk about tonight, and that's watching for key inter- indicators of faulty reasoning. And okay. one of the ones you just gave um, a demonstration of in your example is um, – uh, I don't know the exact fallacy because there's hundreds of fallacies and I don't have them all memorized, but that one's like a sleight of hand is how I would call it. So yeah. the, the first indicator is a dichotomy, and the second one is because it puts a limitator in there to say, well, they can really believe in this place. They can't. There's a slippery slip on the way out to, to basically give them an out to say, well, they didn't believe in the first place. So therefore, they couldn't be a true believer. They were an atheist to begin with, or whatnot. I've heard those arguments before. Yeah, so, I have, tr- I have too, and that might be why I spotted that word so so readily. Yeah, I, c- I could see that. 
because I've seen that before as well. Simple qualifiers often give way to uh, methods to determine whether somebody not or is telling you the truth or not. Just little things like that. If people are just paying attention, they'd notice them. But that's that's part of the problem I think we have today. Is no one's really paying attention. So um, let's move on to the second piece, and that is the uh, word of the year that uh, Merriam-Webster put out. That was happened for 2016, I guess, is the word of the year is post-truth. Do you know uh, what post-truth is, or have you? how can you define that? Um, I probably shouldn't be defining it because I'd say I, pro- I haven't heard any good definitions of it yet. I- I've heard the term, but I don't know that I've ever had anybody really define it for me. So uh, why don't you define it? <laughs> I can do that. So in Merriam-Webster, they find it as people not caring about facts or evidence, but more caring about the emotional quality or content of you know. So instead, it's, it's an equivalent of emotional reasoning versus logical reasoning or analytical reasoning. It, you can throw a million facts in their face. If, if it damages their sensibilities or feelings, they ain't going to care, essentially. Is anybody claiming that that's new? No, I don't think they're claiming okay. it's new. It's popular. Okay, so it's just a popular term. Yeah, at this point, I think that's why they put it as the term of the year for 2016, post-truth. Okay. Saying that uh, people don't care about the facts or evidence. They just care about the emotional reasoning behind. and uh, Evidence be damned, I'll follow my heart, basically. And I think we can uh, we can give a demonstration of that in the same context that you were just talking about with the uh, theory of God belief. See um, an argument that we probably often through, and uh, it makes me feel good. One of those two. How much evidence is thrown in their face? Uh, if it's true to them, you ain't gonna convince them otherwise. Same for if it's gives them comfort and shelter and makes them feel good. All the evidence in the world will not change their opinion. Yeah, they have a vested interest in the belief. Mm-hmm. There's a fallacy that talks in, uh, um, ties into that one. It's a guilt, typical fallacy. You'd see with that one. Um, okay. First of all, you, you've you've been breaking up on me for about five minutes now, and I've been able to glean most of what you're saying, but it's getting a little worse. I don't know if it's something on your end or mine. I'm on a landline, so I can't believe it's me. No, it might be me. I got a tornado warning just recently, so it might be just my mic. Can you hear me now? Okay. It's I can hear you 85% of the time, so I'm losing some keywords every now and then. That's that's no good. I hope the recording doesn't suffer from it. <laughs> that would not be good. All right. Well, uh, I'll repeat a little bit then. Um, post-truth in, in particular uses appeal to motion fallacy, where uh, instead of uh, tackling the evidence or the facts or the opinion or the position being presented, they'll argue from emotion instead. So it's appeal to thinking about the children instead of um, – actual argument that's presented. Got it. 
At least, at least that's the way I see it. So let's move on to this thing I bring up. is pretty dang interesting. On the... Let me find it real quick. This is in my history. There is a new tool out there from... Uh, yeah, Facebook. They launch a new filter uh, in head of France's political elections, and it's called the fake news filter. This is from Zero Hedge. I've heard about that. And I'm, and I'm wondering if we could go through this and see if there's actually a, tr- a claim to truth or not, and uh, how we can determine that. Uh, so. I don't really have a new way to share it with you. This thing is really choppy, though. So this was shared uh, February 6th, so it's a little bit old. But uh, Mr. Zuckerberg wanted to ensure the people of France only get to see the right news and information. So apparently he's decided to filter things for us, uh, generously shielding them from fake news and right-wing disinformation campaigns. Like global warming is a hoax, for example, is one of the things that he's forth in France in particular. So what would you say, uh, given uh, what we just talked about, what would you say to any of these sisters? Would you trust them? Do you think they're reliable? And if not, why? Um, so well? I mean, I'd be, I'd be suspicious um, just because of the, I don't know their motivations. I don't know what their driving interest is. Um, you know, with politicians, their driving interest is to get reelected in general. So mm-hmm. you filter everything they say through the, the lens of, okay, is he telling the truth or is he saying what he needs to say to get reelected? Um, businesses exist uh, for basically two reasons, to generate revenue and hoard cash. Everything else comes next. So media, you know, those are businesses, and, you know, they're thinking about bottom lines. they got stockholders that they have to answer to, so they, they filter everything through that lens. Um, I don't know what – I mean, Zuckerberg's running a business, so he's got a lens of his business that he's filtering it through. I don't know what the other filters – what their lenses are. Um, I'd be appropriately – just as appropriately suspicious of them and their motivations as I would the media that they're filtering as a starting point, kind of a default position. Okay, so your default position, uh, given these filters, is who are you to decide what you get to filter for me? It's the thought that crosses my mind. Um, okay. I, I have to, I'd have to, I mean, and there's, I doubt, doubt there's any way with Zuckerberg and Facebook that I could ever find out what his algorithm or decision-making process is, so I don't know that I could you know, really discern any more than that. Interesting. Okay. Um, in in the article, I only I only gave you like a, a little synopsis of what they're planning, but you know, the the article is actually really short, anyways. I, can uh, I add one thing? Hmm. If 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 I were in front of Zuckerberg, my impulse is to challenge him, and I don't know if he's doing this, but if he filters something out to put it in a different queue that's accessible by everybody on Facebook if they want to see what he filtered out. So there's transparency. That way he can be questioned on his accuracy. If he did that, his credibility would increase a lot. 
I, I would think so. That that sounds fair, anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's not what they're doing. They they don't necessarily filter it out, but what they've done is um, users get to filter what people think are fake. So it's by popular opinion that people tag uh, any information that they get on the Facebook feed and determine whether or not it's fake to them. But okay. that necessarily doesn't necessarily mean it's by popular opinion, not necessarily fact checking. Yeah, and popular opinion opinion is notoriously flawed. You can pretty much guarantee a popular opinion is going to be flawed. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of a given considering everybody once thought the world was flat. Yeah. Oops. Uh, well, and I mean, I just saw. Um, uh, actually, my wife told me about – she was reading me an article that um, was done comparing the effort that like a consumer reports goes through to actually test products and all of the transparency they use and all the tests they go through. And they, they took some of the products that they've tested, and they compared it to the online Amazon reviews. And the online Amazon reviews are totally different than the actual quality of the products. They, they actually sort of did an empirical test. Now they're using consumer reports as a an authority on actual quality from real testing, and you know notoriously they are. I mean they have earned that reputation as as really good at, at testing stuff. Um, but yeah, they compared it to the online opinions, and it's just it's all BS. The online stuff is basically crap. Yeah, the, the star rating is nothing more than popular opinion. Yeah, and cognitive bias kicks into popular opinion, and you know it's, so. And the the interesting thing about it, the only the only people that are reviewing, I mean, supposedly the only people reviewing it are the ones that actually bought it. And if you purchase something, there's a, a, a psychological trait called commitment and consistency. Once you make the purchase, you'll be consi- consistent with that decision, and that decision was to spend money on something. So you're going to be biased toward that thing being good, even if it's not. So unless it compl- unless it's a lemon or some horrible thing happens, you know, and that happens with some products, but if it just basically even does its job, you're going to rave about it because you purchased it and you're staying consistent with that decision you made. Makes sense. It's a natural natural impulse that people have; they do it all the time. So that's and that impacts reviews in well positive ways, I guess. But you know, it's it, it skews the results. Well, let, let's segue into uh, the first method since that you just kind of touched on it right there, and that's the trusted sources method of determining what is true and not. Um, with media in particular, let's, let's go back to the political media. We're talking mainstream, and we're also talking the alternative media, mainly what you'll see on YouTube, all the channels that they have there, some people have their own podcasts, that type of thing. Um, who is a reliable source or a trusted source, and even the trusted sources, do you also fact check or their their information? Okay, you broke up really bad on the first two seconds of that question. Oh, dang it. Okay, so uh, in trusted sources are method to determine what is a trusted source to you and uh, that could be any source. So I'm not limiting it to the mainstream media, um, but 
in in your uh, view with your bullshitometer, who would you think has a more reliable and uh, predictive model of trustworthiness when it comes to information? Um, I mean, I don't know if you're asking for specifics. So, and there's so many to choose from. I won't bother. The the mo- mm-hmm. the people that are the people that are usually the most on target with the truth are the ones that are in the middle of whatever bell curve you're discussing, just generally speaking. Because the people on the left end and the people on the right end of that bell curve, whatever that bell curve may be, um, are you know biased, generally speaking. So mm-hmm. um, you can you can look at all the all the mainstream, all the, all of the the ones that cover both angles, the ones that interview both people, the ones that try and you know at least try and paint a a fair picture of both sides of an issue. Um, those are the ones that consistently get it right more than others. Um, my personal take is I don't trust – even even the, the news sources that I trust, I don't trust what they're saying at the moment I'm listening to them by default. I, I'm skeptical no matter what because even they get it wrong, and sometimes they get it wrong. It's not fake news. It's false news. That's kind of why I was – I used that term. Um, they mm-hmm. get it wrong, but they're trying to get it right. They get it wrong because they have pressure to get the news out first uh, because it's all about ratings and it's all about advertising. And you know they are a business, and they make the mistakes that are common in their industry for those business reasons because of those pressures. Um, so when I hear anything, you know, I'll listen to it and, and listen to it for reasonableness, but that's just based on me listening to all sides. I I posted on Facebook about, I don't know, two, three months ago that you know one of my – one of my proudest moments of 2016 is that Facebook can't decide whether to show me um, left-wing or right-wing poli- political stuff. They keep mixing it up. You know, I'm not getting, you know, because Facebook's supposed to, you know, pick out my preferences based on my habits and show me what I want to see, and mm-hmm. they can't figure me out, and that's a source of pride. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as I keep, that's one way I'm measuring my skepticalness. As long as I keep Facebook confused, I know I'm achieving something. <laughs> So, um, I, I've I've done the same thing actually because I have uh, feeds that are all right wing kind of information and stuff. I I really right right wing that are just like flat out false information to begin with, and it's pretty obvious that they are because it makes them claims with zero evidence, for example. And then I get it on the on the far left too, and then I get some of the stuff in the middle, like between Washington times and the Hill and New York times, I get them all and they just end up showing up. Like I didn't ask them to, but yeah. Yeah. And I, and I try and engage in conversation on all sides. It's, you know, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm purposely trying to keep Facebook confused. That's uh, it's (laughs) like, if you want to, if you want to fix something, measure it. And that's how I'm measuring my, my absorption of information that comes through Facebook. I don't know if LinkedIn and, you know, LinkedIn's more business, but I don't know if other other social media sites are as uh, as prolific at filtering and figuring people out as Facebook is. So they're my benchmark. If I can keep them confused, I'm doing well. I think Facebook is a little bit more reliable than the others from what I've seen. Uh, speaking of which, um, Twitter had recently done some changes in the way they filter and present information. Uh, I don't know if you're on the Twitter verse or not, but um, what you'll see now is uh, anytime that I've ever logged in, and I have people on both sides of the fence. I'm friends with uh, 
anti-feminists, the feminists, the uh, some Black Lives Matter people, some people that aren't, and you know, both sides of the fence, all the way up down every single political um, position. I talk to them all. Yet in the feeds that I see, it's all uh, anti-Trump and left and uh, what they call these certified accounts. So these are people that have gone through a certification process that says they are who they say they are, and they probably are somebody that's mixed with the media in some way. So there okay. might be a reporter or they might be a, a journalist for the post or something. And that's all you see anymore. It's completely filtered. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a very effective way to do things. Facebook, I think, is a little bit more reliable in that sense, but it's also easy to make an echo chamber, which is why I think your approach is rather effective in at least benchmarking to make sure you're getting reliable information. Yeah, I mean, I try and whatever the story that interests me, I you know, I, the one in politics obviously is a big interest to everybody these days. So I got a lot of political mm-hmm. stuff that I follow on both sides and in the middle. Um, and I always try and do all three, both sides and in the middle. At least one or two on each end, at least one or two in the middle. And and when a, when an interesting story comes across my path, I hit all the sites and I look at all the stuff and I just am basically trying to determine what the truth is based on the common elements, uh, based on the elements that are, you know, illogical versus logical. And just you know, it's, that's the puzzle solving nature. I enjoy that, so I you know that's how I do it. Yeah, but it takes effort. Roll. I mean, the the, the starting point is you got to want to know the truth. Right, <laughs> you got to want it bad. <laughs> well, not just the truth, but you don't want to hear um, your echo chamber, as it were. You don't want to be confirmed. You want to be challenged instead. Yeah, and one of the, I mean, so talking about personal motivations, um, you know, the motivations of businesses to make money, politicians to get elected. One of my personal motivations is the sheer joy of finding out that something I believed before was wrong. It's I, it literally if if I don't wake up every morning and can't think of something yesterday where I look at myself and say how freaking stupid were you for thinking that then I think yesterday was a failure. That's like it's sort of a personal badge of honor to learn something I didn't know before and have it challenge a belief I had. So that's one of my measurement criteria, and that measurement criteria keeps me focused on. The the puzzle solving stuff I love, the skepticism that I enjoy, and it makes it worth the effort. Interesting. So let's let's roll down that um, a little bit. There's um, there's uh, one of the questions that I had on here was uh, where we can look to stay informed and how. And you just touched on the how a little bit, but I'd like to expand that. So. When you were talking earlier about uh, people, when you're conversing with them in, a, in a, either a sales situation or business situation, you can usually tell a bullshitter from a truth teller based on mannerisms, the way they phrase things. Um, same thing with the, uh, the uh, pamphlet you were given when you mentioned the, uh, the modifier language that yeah, gave you choices. key indicators, the word choices. Yep. So can you lay out, say, like a, a small list of key things that help you determine the truth when you're picking out information from multiple sources? Um, a list. Like what do you look for? Um, well, I look for inconsistencies. So 
any story that I read, you know, pick one article. When I'm looking, reading one article, I look for the inconsistencies. I look for the uh, false dichotomies, false trichotomies, false quadchotomies, if that's a word, uh, where they, they, they give you two or three options, and they left some out. Now, again, okay. I'm very logical and a puzzle solver, so I tend to be able to spot those better than the average bear. Um, so inconsistencies, half-truths, they tell part of the story but leave, leave the rest out. Um, and if you want to get good at half truths, watch you know any of these um, the, the the cable TV shows on you know the the uh, what's the alien show um, ancient aliens um, the the guys hunting for ghosts watch mm-hmm. any of the, those kind of shows because they're uh, watch Rachel Maddow the woman is incredible at spinning a yarn I mean she really is she gets <laughs> she a lot of stuff burned. right she gets a lot of stuff right but even when she doesn't. Um, she's really good at making a case. <laughs> uh, so well, yeah, if you want to, if you want to get good, burned, right? What's that? You saw that she recently got burned, right? Uh, I saw she did. I actually d- didn't follow through on figuring out exactly what it was. She deserves so, it. I mean, she she's good at spinning yarns, and she should get burned every now and then. She she got caught in. Uh... What what could be considered fake news or false? I don't think she did it intentionally, but that was essentially, the tax return thing, right? Yeah, it was the tax return. She found out that Donald Trump actually paid taxes and a lot of taxes. In fact, more than Bernie Sanders in the same year. And it was like a twenty five percent tax um, income tax, essentially that he paid in. It was almost ten years ago. Yeah, it was '05, I think. Yeah, and ironically, it it may seem that that tax return was actually a link from uh, released from Donald Trump himself, so it ended up in her hands from him. At least that's what people are saying. I don't know if that's actually true or not, because uh, I don't think that's been confirmed. And yeah. there's only one person that can confirm that, and he sure as hell won't if he did it. So. Yeah, knowing him, he would proudly wear that as a badge of honor, saying, "Yeah, what do you think of that now?" You know, N- knowing his mouth, the way he's behaved in the past, uh, judging by yeah. that, he would that most is, likely that say true. that he did it. If the emotion struck him at the moment, he'd say he did it. Yeah, that's true. He's an emotional guy, that's for sure. Yes, he is. I don't, I don't know that he is. Um, he's not very analytical. He he's a gut performer, as it were. Yeah, um, definitely. He would fall under uh, so the truth reasonable people. So anyway, she got burned. So yeah, she she's you know she should get burned. And but like like I said, she's good at weaving a tale. She's good at stating a series of facts that. Uh, well, I guess that's another thing. Look for two facts that are given in a row that don't actually connect but seem to. Qu- question whether they connect. When you when you hear a story and you read two different facts and it's like okay, it sounds like that connects. Instead of continuing to read the story and assuming it does, stop and question, wait a second, does that actually connect? Does that track? Uh, because that's where they get you. They'll, they'll present um, two different things that are completely unrelated. And try as to do, though they're related. Uh, as though they're related. So it's a, a causality determination, I believe is what it's mm-hmm. called, where two separate things that have nothing to do with each other somehow um, are causally related when they're right. not. I don't know if it's actually the post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy or, you know, the after this, therefore, because of this fallacy, but it's similar mm-hmm. in nature, if not exact. It's very similar. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that uh, one of the things we keep coming back to, and 
rightfully so, because I think it applies a lot, is the use of sophistry in much of what we've seen. And with sophistry, if, if for those that are not familiar that may be listening, sophistry is actually the practice of debate, is the practice of arguing. These are people originally that got paid to argue, and that's where it came from. Um, sophistry is normally, um, I guess, how can I put this? It's normally categorized as people that don't necessarily have the truth, nor do they have good reasoning, um, but they can win an argument just by pleasing the audience or getting them on their side. And often what you'll see is the sophist uses a lot of fallacies. They'll use appeal to emotion. They'll use appeal to popularity. They'll use uh, any, any argument that seems to be compelling to win the position. And I wonder how much of that do you catch when you're like filtering through the news, for example? Uh, yeah. I mean, how could I know how much I catch and how much I miss? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> I catch it all. There, <laughs> there's some fake news for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do know that uh, it seems to be the, the common filter. You look for those most common errors that people argue with. Um, yeah, and also common traits. So, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, arguments, I, I'm, I'm, you know, picturing, you know, two people debating on stage or on some TV show. So you're actually watching them and you're listening to mm -hmm. their tone and their inflection. It's not just paper, not just text. Um, there's... <laughs> One of the key things is the calm guy is usually the one that's right. <laughs> I mean, not always, but it's an indicator. Whoever's calm is usually the guy that's like, okay, he's he's got his crap together. Because <laughs> people use uh, volume and bravado to hide their bad arguments all the time. So mm -hmm. that's one of the quick things you can look at. It's an indicator. It's, it's a very helpful indicator, too. Uh, one of the things <laughs> I tend to watch a lot um, – I'm a big fan of these people, and I think it's because of the way they structure things. And I've also noticed that the mediator in between seems to be fairly unbiased when it comes down to things. Like, he doesn't interject. He doesn't place his opinion, but he does repeat things to make sure that everybody is understanding. And then he refers to the, the debaters to make sure what he is saying is actually, is actually correct or not, and that's their position. And it's um, Intelligence Squared is the name of the company. Have you heard of these people? I'm not familiar with them. Sounds interesting. No. I mean, you're you're describing some, you know, really good quality facilitation skills. Oh yeah. So, this is uh yeah. what it is is uh it's it's uh, they've been around for quite a while. They've been around for 10 plus years, I believe. Um actually Christopher Hitchens was on there once. Actually, he's been on there a couple times before he passed away. And um just to give you an example of how long they've been around and what they do is they do a classical debate. So they do two opening, two closing, or uh, do an opening segment. Then they do the response segment. Then they do Q&A to the audience. And then they do closing. Just a very standard, straight-through debate. Um, it's okay. a case of two people on either side. So it's not just one against one. It's not outnumbered. It's two people that are relatively the um, subject matter experts on either side of the fence. And then they sit down they debate and what they do is they pull people before 
uh, the, they do it before a live studio audience and then they pull people before the audience. Uh, they pull the audience before they start and then they do their openings and then they do their closings and then they pull them after everybody said everything. And then uh, basically the winner is the higher change in percentage. And that's how they run their debate. So it's all about swaying the swaying the masses, as it were. Hmm. And I don't necessarily agree or disagree with the outcome of some of these, but uh, I do find it a very even way to determine uh, or see both sides of an argument. For example, one of the yeah, ones that I just recently watched. Yeah, they're, yeah, well, they're, they're measuring, measuring it well. They're doing subjective measuring, but they're still measuring it, you know. So at least they're they're attempting. Um, I would think the only thing that I could think of that would, unless they're already doing it, that might improve that model is if they um, pulled the audience during the conversation on subject by subject. No, they don't. So do that. after it's each after, after each exchange, the audience votes on which of the two uh, achieved the one that exchange, however they would phrase it. Um, that way, it'd segment. It wouldn't be an overall impression. It'd be more specific, you know, short-term tallies. Because mm-hmm. one guy might do good on one argument, and the other guy do good on another argument. And you know, in a end of session vote, you know, those those could get. You know, the the guy that you tend to agree with, you know, will get your vote, whereas the other guy won't, even though they were even possibly on those points. Hmm. I think one of the other things that might improve it a little bit is if they allow to vote their decision, whether or not they've changed, and they can do it at any point in time so long as their voting is done by the end. Because mm-hmm. what also happens in a debate-style thing is the last thing you heard, the closing remarks, uh, is the one that's long-lasting if you're trying to vote. Um, you started out with an opinion or maybe undecided, but at the end, it's the closing remarks that are probably going to convince you, not the substance there in the middle. Yeah. Have you ever ever had the opportunity to be that debate moderator uh, in any format at all, any situation? Not a moderator. Um, the best I've done is uh, hosted shows and hosted uh, like dissemination of knowledge, but not not a formal debate. Okay, I, I didn't mean necessarily a formal debate. I just meant the, I meant the guy in the middle of a discussion between multiple people, and you have to be kind of the peacekeeper and the moderator and the the guy mm-hmm. that makes sure that everybody in the room comes to some agreement debate no, or I otherwise. Sit down and I was thinking of, for the most part. I I I sat on a jury for four days and I got voted jury foreman and I was actually pissed that I got voted jury foreman because <laughs> as jury foreman my job was to moderate the discussion of the group and, and not try and sway people. And I'm like, man, this is hard because I had a really strong opinion about the case. <laughs> wow, like, that was one of the hardest, you know, four hours. It, that's all it took. It was a civil case, so it wasn't a big, real big deal. But that was one of the hardest four hours I had. I think I did a good job because, um, you know, I it, the side note. Uh, so we we took an initial vote, and it was eight votes for the for the defendant and four against, and you needed nine in order to have a verdict. So I'm like, okay, and then we we voted again, or I I forget how we it's. Um, oh, we voted. There were two different dollar amounts, 50000 or 800000 So it's like, okay, who wants the 800000 We got eight votes for 800000 and four for, four for not. And then we said, okay, who wants the 50000 We had eight votes for 50000 and four for not. And like, figure that one out. 
dude should get money. Dude should not get money. That's pretty much what it well, came what, down to, I guess. What it turned out was there were four people in the room that wanted the eight hundred thousand, four people in the room that wanted the fifty thousand, and four people in the room that didn't give a shit. <laughs> so they just wanted <laughs> out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it was a really interesting experience. Very hard to do. But okay, fun so I'm, still, you know. Uh I'm gonna piece this together. I think we've covered uh Everything but method number two, and uh, trusted sources is just determining uh, who who you can trust, and even then you should be skeptical of those people because they can be wrong too. Uh, Rachel Maddow was our our example of that. So let's move on to uh, multiple different views and picking out the truth from that. So if, let's say we have uh, a political position that the far left and the far right are presenting on. Um, they both obviously will have their own opinions. We can probably formulate in their head what they're going to be talking about. So how can we determine the truth using both sources? Is there a way? And and do you do anything of the sort with that? So is there a way? Um, yeah, there's a way. It's called running for office, getting a seat in the Senate, and having the in-depth, <laughs> detailed conversations they're having. So it's, I mean, the, the, you pick any, you pick, you know, healthcare. It's like it's such a freaking complex issue, and the numbers can be spun in so many different directions. For an average citizen, it is literally hopeless to come up with any rational definition of what truth is when mm-hmm. those guys are all having their conversations. You just It's too complex. You can't. So that's, that's my short answer to that question. Um, you know, on some of the the a little bit simpler issues, I think you can you can, I but it's in politics, man. It's you're you're going to be flooded with so much good information on both sides because they're good at spin that it's brutal. Um, and I think okay. you're always going to end up falling on the side that you probably already felt was true anyway. Because you can't prove yourself wrong with the information in front of you because you okay. got this one massive group that's agreeing with you completely and the other massive group that's not. And, you know, you're already biased, so there's no reason for that bias to move. Well, let's say it's we tough. got um, somebody that's a fence sitter for, for case of argument, somebody that likes to sit in the middle and absorb from both sides. Uh, is What tools would you use? I think we touched on a few few of them already, but what tools would you use if you had feeds from both sides with opposing uh, opinions to determine what pieces they are saying in there are actually true and what aren't? Yeah, that's just so tough because, again, I'm good at hard questions. Yeah, (laughs) it's... um, What tools would I use if I was the fence? I got to go in my own head and be the guy, be the fence sitter. That's the way my brain works. Uh, so if I'm the fence sitter, if I'm the fence sitter on an issue, and everybody's arguing, um, you know, if I was looking at all text arguments, um, I'd start picking apart. I, I, I don't know. I, if I actually was forced to make a decision and my life depended on it. I, I'd do the math. I'd add up the logical fallacies on both sides. I'd add up, add up the skewed numbers on both sides. I'd find all the untruths that I could document 
all the spin, all the BS. Um, and I do a scale, and you know they they each have some untruths and some BS on, and some spin on the scale, and then I add up all the truths. And I mean, this is complex, but if mm-hmm. push came to shove, that's you know that's about the only way that I could think of to come up with any rational choice as to which side of that fence to fall on. Um, okay. And I don't know uh, if that helped at all. <laughs> no, that that's actually one one good method I think to figure it out because you know you look for key indicators of faulty reasoning. So um, there was a friend of mine. Uh, he's a lawyer. He's actually I paid him to be my lawyer for a while, so I'm not sure I can actually call him a friend. I was his client, <laughs> but uh, I still talk to him from time to time. And he used to be a small claims judge. And he, he decided to be a family lawyer instead for some reason. I didn't quite ask why, but I guess there was more money in it. And uh, he used to say that he would go into court every day and he got sick of it because he'd go in and say to himself, okay, which one are you going to lie to me less? And so to give you an idea, my wife is an avid um, fan, I guess you could say. Like she watches – uh, this person on YouTube now because uh, she can't keep up. She's watching episodes all the time. That's Judge Judy. She loves to watch mm-hmm. Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can tell the the trained keenness in uh, Judge, Judge Judy's uh, method is to determine which one is going to feed her a line of bullshit first. And she usually can tell before either one of them open their mouth. And um, I wonder if uh, you could do the exact opposite of what you're suggesting. And that is to, instead of trying to determine how many lies the person's going to tell me and then tell, tally them up and whoever's lying less is probably the more reliable one in their uh, story. What if we could take, uh, let's say the left and the right, they're presenting the same argument, not necessarily healthcare, but something a little less benign, like, uh, I don't know, a uh, women's issue or something that's been pretty popular as of late. And uh, they're both telling the same story in essence, but they both have some key factors or indicators that they completely are uh, 180 on to each other. They're just completely opposite, polar opposite. But uh, there's pieces in there that they both agree upon, just slight things. They word them differently, of course, but they're uh, they're both agreed upon in these one areas. Uh, would those be considered uh, a measurement for at least the foundation of truth? What would you do with those if they both agreed on at least a couple points? Um, assuming that the point that I also agree with their points based on you know my experience and my knowledge, I mean it, it's a good starting point for at least making a decision of which side you fall on. Okay. Um, and, okay. You know, Let's, I could I could fall on the side of untruth and still be confident it's the right side. <laughs> you know, so, as long mm-hmm. as I don't know it's not true. So let's say that uh, these two pieces, you know, they they present a couple things and they they both agree on at least these couple things. Um, how can you determine if the things that they agree upon are actually true or not? The specific components that they agree agree upon. Yeah. Let's say they're presenting. Um, man, what's what's something that they presented that was completely BS recently? Um, 
man, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> like first things that came up in my, my head was like the uh, Trump paying Russians to pee on a bed. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one because it's the absurd. P- the PP gate is that isn't that what they called it? The, the yeah <laughs> PP gate. <laughs> Can't remember what they called it. It was like PP gate or something stupid like that. But they both had at least a piece or components that they all agreed upon in the left and the right, and that was the Russians were involved in somehow talking to Trump, and um, that he did something heinous with them. At least those are the two things that seem to be the same on both sides of the fence. What would you do with that information to determine if it was true or not? To determine if the PP gate was true or that those two pieces were true? I Either or. Let's run down your thought process and how you would uh, tear it apart. Um. Well, I mean, just just because they agree on the fact that Russia was involved, I mean, for example, um, that's actually involved. I mean, the the document itself that they relied on for all that information, there, there's still questions whether that document is faked. Um, so I don't know that I'd even bother to believe that. Um, and whether Trump was actually involved, kind of the same thing. Um, I would look at it as uh, – I would kind of not – I mean I'd, I'd withhold belief in any aspect of the story until there was more compelling evidence that they were right is my default position. So I wouldn't necessarily believe – I wouldn't believe that Russia was involved yet because the document itself could have been you know, a BS document. Um, and I wouldn't believe that Trump was involved either because you know, same reason – um, then we could say if somehow that it was proven that that document that was released was actually an internal docu- document from some security Russian agent, it's like if the, the world agreed on that or enough people agreed and they stopped arguing about it, um, then I'd say, okay, well, it looks like it's a real document. And then I'd say, well, if it's a real document, then you know, that's a piece of evidence on the side of something actually being here. So then it's like if they're starting to agree on that, you just look at the other stuff they're agreeing on. And I, I'd probably believe that Russia was involved. I'd probably believe Trump did something stupid. Um, but I have a really, really, really negative view of Trump because I've been following his career for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, back in back in my days as a sales trainer, when the, the Apprentice first came out, I actually did a sales training workshop around The Apprentice. We would watch the show, and then we would get together the next day on the phone, and we'd talk about all the manipulative sales bullshit that they pulled in the show. So it was, yeah, Trump, Trump's been on my, holy guy, this, holy Christ, this guy's a sleaze, you know, radar for years. Uh, so, yeah, right. I'm very biased against Trump from personal experience watching the man behave. Uh, so that's a qualifier that I'll lay out there right now. Um, so it would be really easy for me to <laughs> believe that he did something sleazy. Uh, but that's from a lot of past experience and actual analysis of the guy's mind and how he thinks and the stuff he's done. He's got a track record of doing what's best for him in the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's, I could easily see him doing you know horrible things. Um, so, yeah, and and, and – whether the whole story is true, I would still apportion that belief to further evidence. It's like accept components, but don't make any decisions on it. It's I wouldn't act based on those couple of beliefs until it got more solid. I wouldn't actually – I mean I would try not to actually act or let it bias me in other ways. 
Interesting. I, I would uh, have to agree with you because uh, I didn't follow Trump in, in the sales manipulative crazy way. Um, I actually like my doctorate is in um, leadership and organizational psychology and organizational leadership. And so I followed him for other reasons to see how he actually behaved with people he employed and whatnot and have a negative opinion out of him based on his treatment of others as a leader slash follower. And he's not a good leader. He's oh, such no. a crap leader. <laughs> and there's, there's a few reasons behind that. When you put narcissism within a leader's position, you end up with a really bad idea. Um, in some cases, yeah, it works out. Yeah, do is give a narcissist power. So. Well, in some cases, it works out. For example, Steve Jobs was it a narcissist. It can work out. <laughs> but. He, he was a big narcissist. Most people don't know this. They love Apple for whatever reason. But he... He was also innovative, but everything had to be his way. That's not necessarily good leadership because now his company's floundering because nobody knows how to make good decisions because all the decisions were his. And now he's not there to tell him what to do. So um, they yeah, adjusted in my terms, somewhat. Say, in, in my terms, I'd say he was a great company president. He wasn't a good company CEO. A company president is the guy that leads by example and through sheer will. A company CEO is the guy that forms a group and then makes the group lead. But that's just yep. business talk. It's just the way I describe it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it together. Okay, so that leads me to um, the last bit on the method three, which is the Fox axioms, which we just talked about. And uh you went back to a few times and an, an axiom essentially for anybody that follows my show, they should know if not um, the axiom is a claim to truth without any evidence to precede it. And these truths are, as I put it in uh, my blog site, the truths are meant to be self-evident. So if, for example, uh, gravity sucks, it's a self-evident truth that gravity will always pull toward the center of a thing. It's universally true. No one can really deny it. There's a few others that are like that as well. Um, but when somebody presents you as something that should be true regardless of evidence, um, temp typically what we relate that to is a faith claim. And in the case of political positions or anything that we see online, we'll see a claim being made, not necessarily any information to support that claim, but it needs to be true because they have reasons. Because reasons, because feelings, because whatever reason they decide to put to it. And so mm -hmm. the axiom principle comes into play there, as I put it, where they present a false truth as truth without any evidence because it just is matter of fact truth. It is the truth is as there was a commercial they saw on uh, YouTube about I think it was uh, the New York Times was saying the truth is and then they had a bunch of narratives and they're just saying we have right. the truth. That's not necessarily true, especially if you're looking at evidence. So, All right. Uh, we got about 30 seconds left. I thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Uh, looked like we had a couple callers call in. I uh, usually don't take callers when I have a guest on, so sorry about that. Uh, if you want to stick around for the five or ten minute post show that I usually do, that would be appreciated. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, that would be that. Do you have anything Thanks closing remarks? No, thanks for inviting me. It's good talking to you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we got to put this together and, and your particular viewpoints and particular um, way to determine truth has been pretty helpful to a lot of people in, in a few channels that we both are in. So. Yeah, hopefully. I try. And 
That is the end. Yay. That wasn't too bad. <clears throat> so, uh, a couple of things I, don't I know usually if that do was actually a, a, going to be a useful conversation to anybody because I, I, I'm I'm a trainer at heart, so it's like a, you know, I, I instantly go to how to, and I don't know that there's a really good how to for any of this. It's well, just you you got to really want it. <laughs> that's the how to. So, it, yeah, if you don't have a motivation to actually know the truth, you're just going to believe whatever it, you already believe. If it's biased yeah. and it comes from a trusted source, then you're just going to believe it. It's really what people end up doing anyways. Yeah. I so like the, the challenge of figuring stuff out, so that's why I tend to try to. So, I'm the same way. I, I like to know. I like to not be wrong. That's, that's my motivation. I, I love to be proven wrong. I just don't like being wrong. So, <laughs> it's a, have you ever it's a heard love-hate the, relationship. Have you ever heard the, the here, here's a, if you've never heard it, I'll just do it for you. What does it feel like to be wrong? I'm just asking the question. What does it feel like to be wrong? <laughs> Good and bad at the same time. <laughs> at least for me. Okay. That's, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> no, I did a different question. You answered the question, what does it feel like to learn that you were wrong? I asked you, what does it feel like to be wrong? You don't know until you know you're wrong. It feels exactly like being right. That's the joke. That's the punchline. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you can use that. It's, it's, it. it's, you know, if nobody's heard it before, it's a good one. <laughs> I like that one. I'm going to own that. It's awesome. So one, one of the things I wanted to note, usually what I do is uh, I, I write a blog about what we're talking about and give some of my methodology of how I tear down an argument or tear down something that's been put forward to truth look for any actual evidence that backs them up or doesn't back them up. Um, and then, you know, look at the sources to that evidence in academic purposes. What you do is they usually cite what they're trying to claim. And if you go look at the citation and look at the work they're trying to cite, you'll find that um, there's, there's uh, certain fields right now, the gender studies degrees, the, what is it? Experimental psychology, I think is, is what they're calling it now. And uh, a couple other fields like uh, social psychology was one of the other ones I saw, and sociology. What they do is they cite some studies that were just absolute garbage or actually don't say what they're trying to say, and they'll cite it to say that this is true. I've seen that a few times where they present evidence that's actually the direct opposite of what they're trying to claim. And uh, I think that actually, if if you if you're smart enough to catch it, because academic reading is a little bit more difficult. But uh, for layman's side, if you look what happened to Rachel Maddow, for example, she was making a claim. She was talking about the tax returns and trying to say that we got them first. Ha! Come look at this, and it backfired in her face because she had a narrative already built up, and the evidence was against her narrative. Yeah. And um, I actually haven't heard much from her about that particular incident. I've heard a lot of dogpiling on her, but I've not heard her come out and say, "Yeah, that was uh, that was bad. I apologize," or you know, um, looks I, like I was have wrong. Done it. She may have done I it. I haven't heard that either. If she hasn't done it, massive credibility hit in my book. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I mean, everybody screws up. It's not whether you make a mistake; it's how you handle it when you do. And anybody with any integrity at all should handle it right. 
And, you know, let's let's talk a bit about that since we're in a little post show about integrity and credibility, because one of the things we didn't really hit is the trusted sources bit. And I would think if somebody's biased and it's proven wrong, that credibility would increase if they show some humility. That's something we don't see that often. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, that's that's like one even... of the... Sorry, no, it's one of the standard standard methods for um, establishing trust is admit your failings. Because mm-hmm. nobody I, you know, does it. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but you know Tr- Trump would go a long way to admit some of his stupid failings. If you do that, yeah. he might get some credibility, but he's too much of a narcissist to be able to do that. Yeah, did you ever you see always... the interview? I forget who it was. Somebody asked him if you ever if you ever apologized. Or something. I think that was it. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. I'm always right. Why should I apologize? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It's like, oh, well, you're a douchebag. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. And the other and, thing is, I mean, he he folds like a cheap suit when he tries his bravado and it doesn't work. He does it all the time. Oh yeah. He I mean, he'll right right get on you get on camera. I've never I'll never settle a lawsuit. My God, the number of lawsuits that man has settled is <laughs> like ah. Yeah, I never settle suits because they just want more. Yeah, you yeah. settled suits. <laughs> settle them right and left. Yep. Hey, you know it's funny he said that, and then the last suit, the Trump University thing, yeah. he settled it, and he settled it in a way where he doesn't have to admit any wrongdoing was a part of that. Well, that's why settlement. he settles them. Yeah, that's yeah, why he that, settles. It's exactly why he settled it in that way in particular, so he could go and say, "No, Trump University was still a huge success. I'm exhausted. I'm huge," and it's like, no. That was a failure, and you were defrauding a lot of people. Um, yeah. That's why you were sued, and that's why you settled when you say you never settle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You lie. Shit. Anyway, yeah, he is. Uh, I thank you again for coming on. That's uh, 15 minutes the the after show, if you will. Just touching on trusted sources in particular. Look for credibility, people that admit when they're wrong. It's usually a helpful thing. Not that it happens very often, but I, I've noticed some of the alternative media people like uh, Mark Dice, uh, uh, the Young Turks never do it. They're they're garbage. Um, Mark Dice is one. Steve Crowder, um, Ben Shapiro, he's on the other side. Um, well, so much yeah, of what's few, out there but now they, calling itself they media is just entertainment. Yeah. These guys it's actually not media. Do it. It's entertainment. So some of these yeah. guys, they they that's all they do is uh, political reporting. And they're trying to make a, a living political commentary, or they're not really journalists. They don't really go out and look at things. Mm-hmm. People miss that. Yeah. But I, I've seen at least some integrity from them when they admit they're wrong. That's that's something you never see. Yeah, all that that's often. good. It helps. I think that's why they're doing better than the mainstream media is doing. I, I've only heard, I've actually heard the lady on the View apologize a couple times. The 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 redheaded older lady that just seems like really bitter. Oh, is that the um, who was she married? Who was she married to? I'm gonna say Ozzy Osbourne, but that's not it, is it? No, not not her. Not her. It's, the other, it's another lady that's on there that looks a lot like her, actually. 
Okay. I've I've only I've never seen the show. I've only ever just seen the advertisements and stuff. So I've actually I've seen her apologize twice now, where she made some false reporting, and uh, one of them was about nurses, and my sister's a nurse, so I was paying attention. I was like, "Wow, you're a big douchebag." And she came out and apologized later because she was she was like, "We were completely wrong," and it happens. And I apologized, and then she apologized for it, and I was I was rather impressed. That doesn't happen that often, so. Yeah. Um, talking about just, you know, figuring out what's true. One, one of the, the single best examples I can ever come up with where I completely and totally disproved something. It was like, it, I did it in about 15 minutes. It was actually easy because the story that actually happened is so phenomenally just wrong. It is the <laughs> local hunting cures allergies. You ever heard that claim? Uh-uh. So the claim is that if you buy honey from local honey manufacturers, it right. will have allergens in it from the local from your area, and you'll slowly build up a tolerance to those I, allergens yeah, by heard, eating that local honey. Um, my mom that. told me that, and I'm like, and and my wife is like, is that true? Which that's what she always says. Hey, Gil, is that true? Uh, <laughs> so I went and researched it, and what happened was, in, I think 2003, some scientists did a study on birch allergies. They were trying to see if they could just feed you birch allergens and have that make an effect. So they were testing the ingesting of allergens into your stomach as a possible means of inoculating people against allergens. Mm-hmm. And they bought some honey. They, they, they had people had to eat these allergens, so they mixed it in with honey. It wasn't local honey. It was just honey. Mixed the allergens in with honey. The people took the honey, and it actually had a positive effect. You know, it, it was higher than placebo. Um, so mm-hmm. it was like, you know, an indication that maybe just, you know, eating this stuff might help. Well, some honey manufacturer got a hold of it and skewed it, skewed it to local honey, started making claims, and he paid some fake lab or whatever. So he paid some lab to prove that it was true and they proved it was true. You know, he didn't pay him to find out if it was true. And then he announced the findings and a myth was born. And then wow. years later, another lab wanted to find out whether it actually was true. So they got some local honey and they did a test, a double blind, you know, peer reviewed test. And they completely, you know, it completely disproved it. There was no effect at all um, over the, the control group. Um, and then they actually took the honey and they ran it through some chemical testing, and it turns out there aren't even any allergens in the honey. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually I'm severely allergic to li- literally everything in just about every state I've ever been to. Uh, where I'm at now in Texas, the only thing I'm not allergic to is the uh, Texas pine, and that's it. Like I can go out walking the grass out here, and my feet will start itching and swelling up. I'm pretty bad. Well. Thank you. That honey I allergy, that. I knew about it, and it, yeah. yeah, when I heard about it, I'm like, that's BS. That is so not true. I know this isn't yeah. true because it's never worked, and they tried it with me. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I did all the research, and I showed it to my wife, and she says, like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fine. I showed it to my mom. No, that still works. I know it does because it worked for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Really? Yeah. I, it's I, just, you know. I get shots in my arm with the allergens that I'm allergic to. That's that's what works for me. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate your allergies because I'm on the other end of that bell curve, and somebody had to be on your end for me to be on mine. So thank you very much. Hey, you're absolutely welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, allergies suck. I hate them. And condolences, by the way. <laughs> and mine are unique in the fact that I get uh, ADHD from them. So when I have a really bad allergy day, I can't keep focus. I twitch. I bounce up and down. It's 
I don't get flu and cold allergy symptoms. I get hyper. No. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Well, I've got that so, naturally, so hey, maybe we're even. <laughs> <laughs> my my mom actually, she when I was little, she thought it was uh, you know Ritalin, and I had ADHD, so they tried the all the drugs, um, even lithium, didn't work. And she's like, the guy that was uh, she was working through, she's like, well, maybe you should try this because it seems that he might be allergic to cats or something. And so they did the scratch test, and sure as crap, I'm allergic to everything that grows. And I live next to a field on top of that, that they grew wheat. So it's like, yeah, wow, <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. It happens though. All right. Well, um, it's good talking to you. Thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, we'll have You're to do welcome. this again sometime tr- soon. Um, if you have a topic you want to cover or you want anything you want to talk about and you want to put it on air like this, uh, just let me know. Okay. What's your general audience? Uh, the, the what's if somebody said you talk about X, what would X be? Um, would I be typically defined? cover things that are claimed to be true but aren't. Um, okay. If if you look through the library that I got in, uh, well, I can link them to you later. But uh, I go all over this board. I go uh, religious claims and claims to truth. How to determine truth is real or not? Uh, I've gone over. Um, Claims in academia where some people are saying certain things are true, but it's not. Um, and okay. all over the place. I, I really try to focus uh, well, on Well, I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur business guy. So if there's any if there are any business people in your audience, we can talk about business subjects related to that. Um, the uh-huh. go-to thing along those lines for me is sales. Um, when I started my sales training company, I called it Honest Selling. Um, and the basic mission was to bring honor and integrity back to the sales profession that I love and to force the assholes in my profession to find happiness in another career because the crap stopped working. So I'm a mm-hmm. world-class expert on all the dishonesty and bullshit inside of the sales profession. Um, and that's really – I can give people kind of some useful tips on how to spot the sleazeball salesperson for any time they're buying anything of any significant value. They need to know when they're being bullshitted. So we can talk about mm-hmm. that. I can talk about that for hours. <laughs> so if that has interest, that would That'd go. That'd be really easy for me. That that I could see. Yeah. Well, in the business world, it's kind of similar, and I I do cup, cover a couple of things like that. Um, one of the things I've actually seen leaching into the business world, in particular lately, is the political politically correct special snowflake generation. Um, to give you a small example, my company where I work. They've decided to implement a change in the way they present information by using improper English, essentially. So uh, in a proper title, you're supposed to capitalize every word, right? Except for the conjugative words like a, the, so and so forth, of. So Proper title of, of what? Um, for example, like the proper, proper title of this. No, like a oh. pamphlet of some sort. Or oh, okay. uh, Got it. a title, you know, you capitalize every word except for the um, modifiers like of or the or and. And the modifier and, capitalization choice is optional. It's a based on preference, by the way. It it is, um, but it's also considered proper English if you if you capitalize it properly, like APA or whatnot. They they want it okay. anyway. Well, okay. um, in my company, they're uh, not capitalizing anything. It's all lowercase, and their reasoning behind it is they didn't want to seem like they were being uh, aggressive in their language. They wanted to 
make sure that it wasn't offensive or aggressive to people. So they use lowercase rather than uppercase, and that was their reasoning. <laughs> okay. That's, that's that's some of the stuff that I talk about on this channel. Like we're, okay. that's not reasoning. That's emotional response. That's yeah. That's post truth. And they're You're not reasoning the facts. They're also decreasing understanding and comprehension of the written word when they do that. Absolutely. Yep. But they don't. They don't realize that it's run by um, the politically correct, as as it were. Yeah. Alrighty. Well. Okay. Thank you for showing up. We'll have to do this again. You're welcome. Soon. Thanks for having me. Good talking with you right. as always. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll see you again a, soon. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too.